0: All right, turn with me over to the book of John. We're going to continue our series on our values. And um, we've talked about what it means to value the lordship of Christ. We've talked about how important it is for us to emphasize evangelism in our lives, that we can really help people come to the knowledge of the truth who don't know anything about Jesus, and Pastor Rice Brooks did that for us, and in fact an entire weekend of that. And we've been talking about discipleship primarily in the context of prayer as we look at Luke chapter 11, and today we're going to look to conclude this specific series in John chapter 21 on discipleship. Next week we will go to leadership development, and then the last value we have is what it means to be a family, both nuclear and congregational. So we're going to look at John, chapter 21. We're going to look at verses 15 through 19. The title of the message is Discipleship Following Jesus. Discipleship Following Jesus. John is writing, the Apostle John. And he says in verses 15 through 19, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said in verse 16 to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. Verse 17. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Verse 18, Truly I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. Now he said this, verse 19, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him then, follow me. Lord, help us we study. Two things upon which I wish to concentrate out of this passage. One, love's inquiry. And two, love's requirement. Love's inquiry and love's requirement. Let me set this up for you. Jesus is risen from the dead. And he is doing what he can to try to help the disciples understand the purpose of his coming his dying, and his resurrection. Obviously, there has not been any New Testament yet because the people to whom he's speaking and those who were to come later would be writing it. So he's trying to help them, it says in Luke 24, understand the scriptures by opening their minds. And the scriptures would be all the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, what the prophets spoke of regarding Jesus, what the law said regarding what it looks like for a priest to rise up and intercede for the people. Who Joshua was in respect to what, what, what Jesus would do. Meaning Joshua in, in the Hebrew really is Yeshua, which is the name that Jesus would be called in Hebrew. Yeshua, that's what Jesus was in the Hebrew. How that parallels. Who was Joseph with respect to living a life that seems to identify with everything that Jesus did? What does it mean to be in the days of Noah? What does it mean to be like Jonah? Uh, Jesus mentioned him in his sayings. And so he was opening their minds to understand the Old Testament in this new covenant reality. And he appeared to them on a number of occasions. One on the day he rose from the dead, that he appeared to them on the road, a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus, we've already spoken of. And then it details in Luke t- chapter 24 that while these fellows on the road to Emmaus talked to Jesus, they went back and told the disciples who were hiding out for fear of the Jews exactly what jesus had said to them and that they had seen him on the road while all of them were there and they were telling the story jesus shows up in the room which is in superimposed over john chapter 20 verse 19 where he says peace be with you and all of a sudden the disciples are just thinking wow he's really risen from the dead that was the first appearing to the disciples there was a second appearing and we don't know how long he stayed at each appearing we do know that he stayed a total of 40 days after he rose from the dead so that's roughly a month and 10 days That's a long time to hang out But they needed every moment of it In order for them to understand this new creation reality What it meant to be Christians Disciples of Christ How they were to be the ones that carried on the message now And established this new organization called the church And here Jesus is taking this time On the Sea of Galilee To help Peter understand what it's supposed to look like So he appears a second time to them Uh, The disciples were in a room The first time he appeared When when the disciples were there On the day he rose from the dead Thomas was not there And everybody knows something About doubting Thomas Because he was not there He didn't believe either The women who saw him at the tomb Or the men who saw him in the room He said I'm not going to believe it Until I see the nail prints in his hands And the spear print in his side I won't believe it Be careful what you say Because like Jesus hears it all Eight days later, he's there with the disciples, and Jesus pops in the room. First thing he says is, what's up, Tom? Hey, see my hands? Want to put your hand on my side? He heard. He hears hears all of our doubt and unbelief. He hears all of our cynicism. And I'd rather have him begin to recite things that are full of faith that I said, rather than recount to me all of my doubt and unbelief and remind me of how lacking I was. When he appears, I want him to be pleased. I do not want him to be frustrated. I don't want him to think, boy, he could have been better. I want him to be happy. And if you don't think God has emotions, think again. It doesn't have anything to do with how much he loves you. He can love you a lot and not be happy with anything you're doing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just remember your mama. Third time he appears is this one John talks about. Now, we don't know how many times he appeared. But this was the third time. And the the disciples are in Galilee now, not Jerusalem. He told them, I will meet you in Galilee. So they went up to Galilee, which is where many of them were from. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip. These fellows were from this region, we believe. Um, and, and, And they were doing what they would normally do because they had not been commissioned yet to go preach. And because Peter, James, John, and Andrew were all fishermen, they went out fishing. And they fish at night because they didn't use rod and reel, they used nets. And the nets they used were those which were not invisible to fish, like nets that may be available today. And so they fished at night, so the fish didn't see the net and just swim away. They'd fished all night, caught nothing. Jesus appears on the shore, yet they do not know it's him. They're a good hundred yards from the shore. He doesn't identify himself as himself. And so the disciples hear this voice from the shore. Hey, fellas. Throw nets on the other side. There's a huge amount of fish. They've been fishing all night. They don't know who's calling to them from the shore. And they have no reason to believe that it's a credible voice. But they do so anyway. Yet, with this memory in the back that they cannot yet retrieve, but it sounds real familiar. And that when Jesus called Peter, it was on the Sea of Galilee. And Peter had fished all night. And in fishing all night... Similar scenario, had caught nothing Jesus, he sees him that time and understands who he is He says, throw your net on the other side And Peter says this, Brett's paraphrase You know I'm a fisherman and you know you're a preacher, right? You know this is my job, this is what I do for a living You're going to advise me on how to do my job When you don't fish at all All right. well listen I'm going to do this, but only because you say so, which is kind of like when I finish, I'm going to tell you, you were wrong. Throws him on the other side, gets a huge catch of fish, so much so that it makes Peter, this guy who happens to be the uh, New Testament version of deadliest catch, (laughs) has kind of a salty mouth, says to him, depart from me, I'm a man with unclean lips. I speak really bad. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. You're amazing. I was cynical. I wasn't happy about what you told me to do. I didn't want to do it. I did it, and I'm wrong. You're amazing. You can leave now. He said, no, 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 no. I want you to know. You've been catching, catching fish all your life. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And he got his calling. So that's there in his memory banks, but that's three and a half years ago. That's a long time he throws a net on the other side this time all of a sudden they get the biggest fish, fish catch they've ever had bigger than the one that drew him into the ministry and, and deja vu hits he doesn't know who, who that was that was telling him to cast a net on the other side but he knows this I remember yes. I know who you are now and it t- says he takes his cloak, puts it on, dives in the water starts swimming to shore to the chagrin of all the other guys who are in the boat who have to take this fish catch in the biggest they've ever had and not just numbers but size of fish we're not talking about bluegill y'all don't fish do you bluegill about as big as your hand if you get a bluegill that big that's a big one we're talking fish this big 153 of them and they were just wow and we know that they weren't happy about peter going in because john is writing and he happens to be in one of the boats that's left that peter left behind and he says later, and John, and the, the disciple, whom Jesus, he identifies himself in a boat that's smaller and had to carry in the entire catch. And you don't get the note of, it was wonderful. <laughs> and there Jesus is on the shore with fish being broiled over fire. <sighs> it's, it's special that Jesus would want to meet with us after the resurrection at any point but that he actually cooks us breakfast that's, that's really sweet I mean special things that Jesus does he tells them come on up and they're sitting there and he looks at Simon Peter and he says Simon Peter he makes an inquire he says do you love me more than these now some have postulated that the these about which Jesus was speaking were the other disciples. I don't think so. Jesus has never encouraged ever for us to compare ourselves with one another in order to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Ever. He doesn't do that. So I think the these about which he was speaking were everything. And, and, and this bears out because of the rest of the passage. With everything dealing with his profession. Do you love me more than the success I just gave you with that 153 fish catch? Because I can bless you in your business. I can do that. I can make you really wealthy. But do you love me more than that? Are you willing to leave it? Are you willing to leave this entire profession? Because I've got something else for you. And what he begins to detail is how he's got to now become a shepherd rather than a fisherman. So it's all about changing occupations. And about how you can do that best with respect to, to what you love and how you love. Do you love me more than these? Do you all love God more than your profession? More than your money? More than your career pursuits? More than your dreams and visions? You, you find out when all of a sudden those don't work as well as they used to. And if stuff starts coming out of your mouth like, God, where are you? Do you not care? Getting mad at him for not co-signing on your idea about your future? You begin to find out whether you love them more than that. Peter, I'm calling you away from everything you've known to be your occupational reality. And I'm going I'm to push you in. I'm guiding you into a new profession. Do you love me more than these? Now, it's important to know that our English language is pretty good at, at describing words. In fact, new words are coming up all the time. The dictionary is being pressed. People over at Merriam-Webster are always pressed to find out what is the newest word. And the more... We, we, we do internet stuff and connect with one another on a regular basis The more we're coming up with new words faster and faster and faster and faster English is fairly good, but it's not perfect And especially in this one area, it really lacks Now there are times when Greek is better The language of the New Testament Or the language of the Old Testament, which is Hebrew and that it defines things a little bit more clear so that we don't have to figure out exactly what's being said. And that's why we will many times refer to the original Greek in order for you to get a better understanding because English lacks. But there are times when, when Greek lacks and English can fit. But there is never a time where English lacks more than here. Jesus says, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now the word love is the word agape. Agape. There are four words in the Greek language for love. Agape, which means unconditional love that God has for us. That is the way he loves us. The second is phileo, which is the kind of love we have for one another as brothers and sisters, Uh, BFF love. Then there is storge, which is familial love, the love that a father has for a son, a daughter, a mother, a son, a daughter, and, and then vice versa with the son, with the parents, or daughter with the parents. And then there is eros, which is romantic love, love between a husband and a wife. Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter says, Lord, I phileo you. Did you answer the question? Do you? You didn't. Jesus doesn't correct him on it. But in his mind, he's thinking, I see where you are. Agape is the highest form of love Because it is unconditional And no no matter what somebody does to you You still love them because you decided to Not on the basis of how they make you feel Or what they've done for you So I'm not quite sure what kind of love we have for one another Or the love you have for somebody else I don't know But I do know that if you will practice agape All the other kinds of love will fit in it Agape means I will care for you to my sacrifice regardless of how much it hurts me. And it doesn't matter whether you treat me well or not. I will still fulfill my end of the bargain because my love for you is unconditional. Now, some people describe unconditional love as that which animals give to to people. No! Don't feed them. See what happens. They go find somebody else to love. And people love animals so much. I ain't against animals. I think they're sweet. We just decided to have people rather than dogs. I think they're wonderful. But they don't talk. Can you imagine if they talked? You'd send them to the pound in a hurry. Animals are not all that. Please do not substitute simply because they can't communicate you think it's unconditional love no it is not the only one that can give unconditional love is god and those whom he inspires to do so and animals are last on the list not last to be loved last to be inspired to love you like that it is a decision that is made from a soul that has been created in the image of god animals have not human beings are that's the way agape works and god loves you like that you want to be loved like that. You don't want to be loved any other way that's, that's above, that's, di- i say it differently. You don't want to be loved in another way that doesn't include agape. You want to be loved in the other ways. You want to have BFFs. You want to have your homies, you know, deuces. You want to have people that you can work with like that. But you don't want to have that to the exclusion of Agape. Because there is something you will do sooner or later that will give reason for that person to defriend you on Facebook. <laughs> yes, you will sooner or later. The beauty about God is that God loves you not because you do anything good. Not because you bring him some kind of benefit. Not because you are so sweet or so kind. Not because you are so benevolent. Not because you gave turkeys at Thanksgiving to those that did not have. Not because you built a home for those who did not have one in Uruguay. He loves you for no good reason at all. Now, that doesn't stroke your soul. That doesn't stroke your soul because you can't feel good about something you've done to make him love you. I realize that. It doesn't really build up your ego. It doesn't make you feel significant. It's not supposed to because if you, lo- if you think God needs to love you because of something you did, wait till you don't do it. Or wait till you violate what you just did. Oh, you were so kind and benevolent to extend yourself beyond yourself. But this week, you're selfish and you're not going to share with anybody. So he's going to have to rescind everything that he just said about how much he loves you because you just violated the reasons of the reason he loves you we are sinners and we are not deserving of His love. We've blown it in so many ways we can't count. All of us have fallen so short of His glory. We are way down here and there's no way that by our good works we can span the gap. It is too wide for the rest of our days. We are spent... In vain, reaching up to try to get there without any hope of getting there on our own. The only way we can get there is if he comes and lifts us by his grace and mercy, forgives us for our sin that has caused a separation, allows us the freedom to repent, turn away from our lifestyle and say, Lord, I will serve you with all of my heart, that he empowers us to become like him on a regular basis. That is the only way we can get right and he does that unconditionally he doesn't do it because we are so sweet he doesn't do it because we are so kind in fact the only way he can love us is if he decides to God loves you for no good reason at all he just decides to it doesn't stroke your soul but it is so securing because there is nothing you can do to make him stop loving you isn't that good? Peter, do you all got to pay me? Oh, Lord, you know I phileo you. Tend my lambs. Doesn't rebuke him. Doesn't rebuke him. Just said, tend my lambs. Huh. The way, one of the ways we can best prove how much we love Jesus is caring for lambs. Those of you who have a little gray hair down here like me, or maybe a lot up here, or maybe no more up here. (laughs) Please don't ever get mad about we as a congregation caring for the next generation, thinking that somehow we're excluding you. You who have some age on you, been around the mountain a few, saw the calendar flip a lot, it is really important that you give yourself to the next generation. That's why we are still here to hand something off. And See, God was trying to redefine Peter's occupation. Peter, you're going to have to care for sheep now. You just don't go fishing anymore. You have to care. The things you used to go get used to be sustenance for you. You had to kill them in order to survive. Now I'm going to teach you to provide for those and keep them alive and help them thrive. First of all, you tend lambs. That word tend in the Greek means feed. You provide for the next generation. He doesn't say sheep yet. Sheep get there in a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to forget you, old folk. Sheep, we get there in a minute. But he says lambs, the second generation. And he says it first when he's talking about church government and how things ought to go. You provide for the second generation, you feed them. And we as a congregation emphasize this for this very reason and many others. We make sure that our children's ministry, birth to fifth grade, is provided for wonderfully. And that not only provided for in program, but provided for in staff and finances. This is one of the reasons that we are fitting out our old building, which used to be our sanctuary, to be a, the, the, the church version of Chuck E. Cheese. Kids will have a blast and they're begging their parents to come to church on Tuesday and hear the word of God on a regular basis. It's beyond just babysitting. It's beyond just fun. It is a way that we can now impart destiny through things that they can relate to. We care about the next generation. Secondly, we're finishing out our room upstairs for our junior high and senior high. Together, these two projects are going to cost somewhere in the neighborhood of $1.5 million. And no, we're not going to borrow any money again. And God is going to provide through y'all. And yes, this is the backdoor way of saying, please give. We need your money. He said, care, tend, feed the next generation. The first thing he said when he was changing his occupation is think about those who are coming after you. Then he says, secondly, he says, Peter, do you love me? Now, I don't think these things happened right after another. I don't think it was a conversation that happened in five minutes. I think it probably happened over a period of days in hopes of giving Peter a chance to redeem his poor last effort. So it may happen right there at the, at the, when they were eaten, but it doesn't say next exactly when the next phrase happened. And we know that John says at the very end, if all the things were, were written about what Jesus said and did, there wouldn't be enough books to, com- to contain it. Now, that's a statement of hyperbole, meaning if somebody were to record it and be around with Jesus every moment of the day, they probably could write down most of the things, if not all. But it's a statement that lets you know that there were many more things that John intentionally did not include in his narrative that, that, that are important But he he made it as short as possible in order for us to be able to to digest it. Here we have him saying, again, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Peter said, Lord, you know that I phileo you. (laughs) Okay. Well, shepherd my sheep. Mm, He's no longer talking to my lambs now. He's talking to my government. How do you govern the church? It's important that you, 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 you care for the entire flock. I want you to learn what it means to provide for my people in such a way that they can live in an environment of health. Where they can grow in the knowledge of who I am. Where they can understand what relationships look like and what a flock should feel like. Walking together, living together, moving together, having a vision, a mission. Make sure that you don't stay in one pasture too long. Because they've got to eat. You need to go to another one unless they eat all this up. This is how you care for my sheep. Learn the trades of what it means to be a shepherd, Peter. Care for those. And we as a congregation need to be a people that are constantly trying to figure out how we can care not just for the young but for all. This is what we do. And, And hear me. You may enjoy a little bit. If I get good every once in a while on a Sunday, you may get happy. You think, oh, that was a good sermon, Pastor Brett. Thank you so much. I get it. But what you like is not just that I talk. What you like is that when I talk, there seems to be substance behind what I say. It's not just good theology, but there seems to be good government behind it. That the same message you hear from here is also in our children's ministry. The same message you hear in children's ministry is in our youth ministry. Same message you hear in both of those is in our women's ministry, in our men's ministry. It does not mean that we have parrots, polywanna quacker, just people repeating everything I say. It means that the same value system upon which I base ministry is found in every strata of our church. So much so that when you don't hear something that sounds like this, you say, that's not right. It may be doctrinally correct, but it doesn't fit on our value sheet. And so you know, that doesn't sound like what Pastor, I don't think Pastor Brett would work. That doesn't sound, and what you're talking about is that's not how we govern house. This is why you keep coming back. It is not just for a good sermon every once in a while, hoping that I hit it out of the park more this week than I did last week. It is because you realize. These people just might have it together more than me. They just might be governing. They may know a few things about how to shepherd the entire flock so I can be helped. We work hard at that. Are we perfect? Hardly. Do we have our flaws? Absolutely. If you stay long enough, I promise you, you will find them and you may be the one upon whom we practice them. (laughs) Yeah, you might just get hurt. Something bad might happen that you have to forgive us for. But whatever we do that's either deficient, lacking, or wrong, we'll hurry up and repent. Because we understand what it means to govern well. That even when you do wrong, there's a remedy for that. You can repent and come back to do to north. Peter, learn what it means to govern the house. Shepherd my sheep. He asks him a third time. Peter, do you love me? Now, the interesting thing is he changes his, his vernacular here no longer is he saying do you agape me he says this time do you phileo me you know God loves you so much that he'll meet you where you are he would love for you to come to where he is and run to get there don't take your time trying to obey run to get there but most of us take our time to try to obey so he says I'm going to come to you okay You want to be my BFF? I got it. We'll make it happen. Do you phileo me? Even at that, it says Peter didn't get it. He became grieved that Jesus asked a third time. Now, why do you think Jesus did this? Let me postulate. The night night Jesus was betrayed, Uh, they had a Last Supper, and um, Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me tonight. It's the brother with whom I dip. And all of them were looking at one another because the dipping process happened with everybody. That's the way you you did what they did in terms of eating the Passover. And so all of them were looking, is it me, is it me, is it me, is it me, is it me? Jesus finally said to the one who was going to betray him, go do what you need to do. He didn't identify specifically what was going to happen that night about Judas, but he said, go do what you need to do. And then Peter realizes somebody needs to say something here. This environment is very discouraging. Everybody is wondering whether they're the one. Well, Jesus, I want you to know I'm your man. If it means death, I'm going to stay with you. You and I, tight. We grew up in the same neighborhood. We boys. You can count on me. As much bravado as a man can muster. And Jesus says to him, yeah, about that. Um before the cock crows three times, like you're gonna deny me? And you know, I, I think he did it with that that list list up that all the, the millennials use. You're gonna deny me. <laughs> oh my goodness. Peter's sitting there Uh, uh but and he doesn't say anything but he's thinking to himself I'm going to prove him wrong I'm going to prove him wrong and we know that to be true because when they go out to the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is praying and now all the leaders of the rulers of the people of Israel are coming to pick Jesus up to arrest him when they see Jesus they say we're looking for him and then then Judas comes and gives him a kiss and, and they all say oh that's the one and they ask him Are you Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus says, it is I. And at the power of his words, they all fall down. You'd think at that point somebody would would say, you know, maybe we need to rethink this. Like we, we couldn't stand up when he said something. They get back up. Peter sees that they're still stalwart about taking Christ. He's packing. He's got a sword. And he says, I'm going to prove myself. And he goes to, 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 to really strike a blow. And he does so, but he's a fisherman, not a warrior. And, and like, ah! And he cuts off a servant's ear. I mean, Jesus is disgusted on so many levels. I mean, you're, you're really bad aim. He's right here. He's right here, and you hit his ear. He's right here, and you got his ear. He says, stop. I don't want to be protected like this. And then if that wasn't insult enough, he takes the ear, which is lying on the ground, slaps it back on the dude's head. Again, don't you think somebody in the crowd would have said, are you sure we want to arrest this guy? I mean, look at him. We couldn't stand, and he reattached an ear. The guy's ear isn't even bleeding anymore. Sin makes you stupid. Stupid. Stupid unapologetic in my statement stupid see dumb is ignorant you didn't know and so you did something you shouldn't have done stupid is knowing what's right and not doing it deciding to go the other direction sin makes you stupid so they arrest him anyway and Peter realizes this didn't work the way I thought Jesus gets taken captive Peter runs for his life Winds up a stone's throw away from where Christ is. A little girl comes to him. You're with him. You speak like him, meaning you're from Galilee. You have the same accent. Peter three times, three separate occasions, says, I don't know the man. And on the last one, he cursed to prove it. He spent the night weeping. Jesus was right. I tried my best. What was Jesus doing by asking him three times, do you love me? giving him an opportunity to participate in his own restoration. It had only been a month, if that, since he had denied him. Don't you think Peter was still dealing with that when he went to bed, when he woke up in the morning all day long, wondering what Jesus thought of him? Had they ever had a conversation to reconcile that moment? Had he ever said, Lord, I'm so, I'm so sorry I ran. I'm so sorry I denied you. You were right. I'm so sorry. they never... And Jesus knowing that Peter was insecure about the moment, was giving him an opportunity to repair that which he had broken. No, he could, Peter couldn't forgive himself. Jesus is the only one who could do that. But he could participate in his own healing as Jesus was leading him to health by saying, even as you denied me with your mouth three times, I've given you an opportunity to proclaim your love three times. Peter didn't get it. All he got was more grieved. God gives you opportunity to heal yourself. I'm not talking, please do not interpret that to mean that somehow you can heal yourself by yourself. He's allowing you to participate in the process of your own healing. By coming into the grace that he has provided, all you have to do is just comply with his will. Repent of your sin. Do what he says and healing will come to your soul. You cannot but get more healthy if you will obey and follow him at every point of decree and even suggestion inquiry answer well do you love me with all my heart that's the right answer tell me what you want me to do and I will do it Jesus said if you love me you will do what I say love is not dependent upon how you feel it has nothing to do with emotion it has everything to do with obedience Jesus defined that John 14 15 if you love me just do what I say that is the best way you can prove your love do you lay on me? He came to Peter's aid, came down to his level. Peter got grieved. Didn't get it. And he said, now, I want you to, to tend my sheep, meaning feed them. So there are three different categories. Feeding the lambs, caring for the entire congregation, and then feeding the sheep. That there ought to be a time where maturity allows for where you allow for maturity to be fed in a way that's different than you do for children in the next generation, where there is meat to grab onto and people can be nourished spiritually who are mature. So he's teaching them how to govern the church. And then he says, I've asked you these questions. This is my paraphrase. I've asked you these questions because you're going to have to go through something, Pete. You're going to have to go through something and it's going to require a different kind of love that you're, than you're saying someday people are going to take you they're going to lead you where you do not want to go they're going to stretch out your arms and this signified the type of death that he was going to have to go through to identify with Christ and indeed Peter was crucified just like Jesus except different and that Peter said I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord so turn me upside down when you do it Mm. This entire message and passage pretty much shows the flaws in Peter's life, and I don't know that there is there is any one apostle who has more flaws revealed in his life in the Gospels than Peter. God just saw fit to, <laughs> to just expose everything he does wrong, whether it's not believing when he's walking on the water, whether it's calling calling Jesus out when Jesus said I'm gonna go to the cross, and, and Peter said, "You no, no, you not." Everything that Peter did wrong A lot of stuff Peter did wrong We know about Having said that This man is a giant He is so worthy of respect We will all be looking At the back of his head in heaven He'll be so close to the throne He's an amazing human being And his maturity Was was best reflected In allowing people to take him Where he did not want to go in his elderly years now those of you again who have gray hair like me when you get older you think well I know enough I don't really need anybody's attention I don't, I don't need their advice I don't need their help I can figure it out and the, the more maturity you get on your life which can be fused with chronological age but has really nothing to do with it there are a lot of people who grow older but not better not smarter not more mature they just get old a, a mark of maturity is that as you age You are still able to let people take you where you don't want to go. Let people lead you where you are reluctant to go. Let people advise you on stuff that you don't want to hear. Open up your life and say, everybody, I want you to know I've got blind spots. I want you to know you can speak into my life anytime you want and let me know. Especially the stuff that might be hard for me to hear because that's the stuff I need the most. You need spiritual checkups. The older you get, the more you need. When I was 25, I never went to the doctor. Never. Now that I'm 55, I got to go at least twice a year. Twice a year. Sit down and listen to somebody. Tell me about where I am medically. I can't tell. They can. They take all these tests, draw blood, blood pressure, listen to my heart, look at my ears, my eyes. They do all kind of, I'm feeling pretty good. But I can't tell until they tell me. I can't tell until they tell me. And then, if I'm not doing as well as I think I am, then they give me prescriptions leading me where I don't want to go, like the gym. I don't want to go to the gym. They lead me away from food I like. Ribs. Pork chops. My wife makes the best pork chops on the planet. Makes a vegetarian drool, I'm telling you. Best on the planet. Not good for me, not good for me. Cheesecake, I love. It puts weight on my body. I, got, I can't get off. It just goes straight here and other places I don't like. Doctor leads me where I don't want to go. Anybody lead you where you don't want to go? I've got men in my life to which I have intentionally submitted, said, Take me there. This is what it means to follow him. After he said, there will be people who lead you where you don't want to go. Follow me. You're not going to like it. It's not going to feel right. You're going to think you know better. But you have blind spots and you still need discipleship at 55. You need people speaking into your life at every, every level of, 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 of progress. There is never a time where you grow out of input. And not just the input when you think you need it. It's the input when you don't. Is your ear tuned to it and say, Lord, I love truth even when it hurts? This is what discipleship is. I have been doing it this way, living this way for 35 years. And the older I get, the more I get on the phone with my brethren asking first, how am I doing? Tell me, how am I doing? When they come into my church, how am I doing? Anything you see in my life that needs to change? Anything in my leadership please let me know because I don't want to grow out of listening well. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that every voice that that speaks to you will be God. You'll get some things that aren't quite right. But this is what maturity gives you the privilege of doing is being able to discern which is which and having other people to help you decide rather than you being the sole arbiter of truth, fact from truth, helping others to say, what do you think about that? I'm willing to do anything that God says, but I need to know your opinion. And then having the abundance of counselors being able to speak into your situation so the victory is assured. That's what Proverbs says. In the abundance of counsel, there is victory. The older you get, the more voices you need, not the less. This is what it means to be a disciple as you grow in Christ. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. I thank you for your goodness and grace. Inspire us to live the way we should. To govern your house well, whether it be the house of our, our own individual homes, whether it be our small groups, whether it be this house as a church. Help us.